Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, and today's episode is all about cheese. We call it the cheese trap. Cheese is one of the most unhealthy foods we could possibly eat, and yet Americans gobble it down seemingly by the ton every single year. Perhaps that's because it's also one of the most addictive foods that we could possibly eat. And did you know that the government actually is actively working to make sure that we eat even more of it? It's true. Dr. Neil Barnard, the founder of the Physicians Committee, will come back to the show and talk all about it in his book, The Cheese Trap. What makes it so addictive? Why is it so unhealthy? He'll tell you. We're also going to be joined by Chef Bev. She's going to whip up a delicious vegan mac and cheese recipe. But we start the show with an interview with vegan NASCAR driver Landon Castle. This man is hysterical, and he manages to keep it plant-based behind the wheel at speeds in excess of 200 miles an hour. Welcome to the exam room brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I'm so excited about this next segment. It's probably going to go by very fast. We have NASCAR driver Landon Castle with us here via Skype. Landon, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it is absolutely my pleasure. And before we get going, I'd like to tell everybody, give Landon a follow on Twitter at Landon Castle. He's a good guy and a vegan. How long have you been vegan now? Um, man, I think I'm, I'm starting my fifth year. Um, my wife has been a vegetarian for over 10 years wow um and we've probably been fully plant-based uh for about five years is she the one that convinced you to go vegan um i don't know if convinced i mean she definitely is the was the inspiration there and 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 kind of helped introduce me to it i mean for me it started out um when i was traveling on the road but then going home my wife you know she just wouldn't cook meat or anything like that and I'm I'm kind of a bottomless pit when it comes to eating anyways <laughs> and so I didn't really have any you know preferences about eating at home and I wasn't cooking my own meals she's she's kind of the cook in the house so you know I just ate what she made cool. and um and so I would eat at home and whatever she made and and so I was kind of eating at home on a vegetarian um, diet we still I, i'd say the only thing that was animal product at the time was maybe cheese sure um and uh and then but then i'd go on the road and i just kind of ate what i want and, mm -hmm. and ate out ate the north same way i've ate my whole life yeah and i got to a point where i could start to really tell a difference in how i felt um waking up in the morning and and um and just my general health and and um energy and, um, and I felt I, when I kind of identified that, um, I realized I thought there was some opportunity there for me to improve my human performance and, and improve, um, use that to my advantage to make me a better race car driver. So, um, I started reading books. I started, um, researching and I, you know, my wife would probably make my wife laugh because she, this is all stuff she already knew. Um, <laughs> she's kind of a bookworm and, um, you know, had been telling me for a while already that I needed to read the China study and right and things like that. And, and uh, so I started reading some books and, and, and I would say, um, reading, um, uh, finding ultra, uh, rituals book was probably what really set me off, um, uh, to, to, to make a big change. Cool. Um, and, and so from that point, the both of us, um, went from 
you know, went fully plant-based. So you talk about just feeling better and making you a better race car driver. I, I think that a lot of people who aren't really familiar with the sport don't realize how taxing it is on the body to sit in that car for three hours plus. I mean, you've got the air temperature outside, so you may think, oh, it's 70 degrees, they have the window open. But inside that car, I mean, it's, it's what, 50 degrees hotter because the sun's coming down on the asphalt, the track temperature is completely different, and then inside the car itself, it's even hotter, right? Yeah, I mean, the cars um, the cars get really hot. So in the summertime, if, it, if it's an 80 or 90 degree day out, uh, you can be certain that the cars are going to be 125 130 degrees in the cockpit um so um i have a helmet blower um that hooks to the top of my helmet and um and it it basically it doesn't blow cold air it's not like an air conditioner by any means but what it does is is runs air through a carbon monoxide filter um so at least i get some fresh oxygen or the or filtered air yeah um into my helmet and if it's 90 degrees outside then that air blowing in my helmet is 90 degrees right so um but that's a heck of a lot better than just the stagnant hot you know um poisoned air inside the race car sure but so um it, it definitely gets hot in our cars we you know you you burn a lot of calories and, and our elevated heart rate in a car for a four-hour race is is that of a half marathon or a marathon sure. Yeah, and I would imagine that uh, with that being such an endurance sport, I mean, your diet actually really helps you quite quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's where, um, and 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 really even beyond um, the plant based side of things, just just when I started training for triathlons, doing half Ironman, um, eating plant based and really kind of understanding how food is a fuel and not a pleasure source. Um, and looking at it that way is, is, is when I was able to take advantage of it um, in the race car. So um, I have a new nutrition plan inside the car, um, just like you would if you were running a marathon or doing an Ironman. So what is that nutrition plan? I'm curious. Do they have green smoothies they hand you on pit row? <laughs> um, no, I, I use... Um, I, I basically use um, a product called Infinite, um, and and it's a custom blend of of carbs and and electrolytes, and I get about 350 calories per hour. Oh wow! Um, I've I've done a little bit of everything um, through the years. Um, sometimes I'll I'll have a banana. Um, I, I'll have my crew um, keep a banana in the pit box if I feel like I need one. Um, I've used gels and things like that. Um, it's kind of hard to put um, fresh foods in the car because the right. car is so hot and right. things get ruined. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I keep a water bottle that's uh, 20 ounces and that has my, a 300 calorie mix in it. I drink one of those per hour in the car, and if it's in a, a particularly hot race, um, then I'll drink one of those plus maybe a lighter hydration mix that doesn't have uh, quite the calories in it. For safety reasons, I'm assuming you're eating that banana when you're under caution, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and mean, uh, throwing the peel on the track for uh, for my competitors, of course. Yeah, when you need a debris caution, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I actually had a, in a race after a race one time. Somebody, uh, one of the other drivers, came up to me and was like, "Did you throw a banana peel on the racetrack at one point?" <laughs> I was like, "Actually, yeah, I did." And they were like, "I thought I saw you throw something out of the car, and it looked like a banana peel." That's awesome. Um, do, do you remember one race in particular that was more taxing than another? Um, there's a couple racetracks that 
it just seems like year after year, every time we go, the cars are 20 degrees hotter. Um, and I would say that Indianapolis um, is one and New Hampshire, um, the race in New Hampshire is another one. Hmm. Um, in Indy, the reason that race seems to be so hot is because the cars are so low. Um, they've got all the windows blocked off um, for aerodynamics and it's always 100 degrees in August. Um, and uh, in New Hampshire, the cars, again, are really low to the racetrack, and New Hampshire is a track that generates a lot of brake heat, so the cars uh, get a lot of temperature that way. So right. um, those two races are probably the hottest. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about this, because in one of the articles I was reading about you, you mentioned that you have a really addictive personality, and that's something that I identify with. I mean, when I was 420 pounds, I mean, I was flat addicted to food, and honestly, I still am. I've just kind of changed that addiction. I'm kind of paranoid, though, that if I have one slip-up, like it's it's going to be like an ex-smoker who thinks that they have it licked after five years, they can have just one. But, you know, the next day I'd be back at Taco Bell again and again and again and again. Do you have right. those same types of concerns? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, uh, I kind of will, I have to make sure that I'm not being a junk food vegan. Right. Um, and so typically I will, my wife and I will do a reset a couple times a year through, by way of a juice cleanse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done I've done juice cleanses for a long time now and um, I'll actually do kind of a juice smoothie cleanse um, so I can go longer and you know if I've got to do one for a week uh, five six seven days um, I'll do it where I'm just maybe having a smoothie in the morning juices all day long and a smoothie at night Um, I'll do that for a week and that'll be a good reset for me uh, because like, just like you, I mean, I, I slip up and, and, and where I, where I tend to struggle with the most is because I'm on the road so much mm-hmm. and it's just when you leave the racetrack and it's 7 PM and you just finished a long day of practicing and you're just hungry, but yeah. you just got to get something because, because I'm more focused on getting to bed than I am anything <laughs> else. And I don't want to take, you know, you're just not in the mood to take the time and get something you know, you, you're just, you just need to fill your belly. And, and so, um, it takes a lot of discipline, but, um, those resets kind of help me remind myself why, um, why I became plant-based in the first place. So I, I need to ask you, I mean, you, you are in kind of a time of uncertainty right now. We don't know uh, what your ride's going to be next year. So I guess the correlation here is with, the veganism with the plant-based kind of giving you that positive mental attitude and just making your whole body feel better. Does that kind of make this uncertain time a little bit easier for you? Um, for sure. I mean, I feel like that has, it's, it's coupled with the training, um, and just being prepared and being focused. Um, it's, it's for me, it's, it's part of knowing that I'm doing everything I can to be the best race car driver I can be. And, uh, and whenever my, you know, whatever my next opportunity may be when it opens up, I know that I'm ready for it and I know I'm prepared. So, um, you know, at my level and what I do, it takes sponsorship and, and it takes a company to come and, uh, financially support my efforts and to place me at a team, um, that, that can succeed. So, you know, having a, a plant-based sponsor is something I haven't had before. I'd, I'd love to, um, I'd love to work with a plant-based company. So, 
uh, you know, if there's any of them out there listening to this podcast, it, uh, it'd be a cool conversation to have. Oh, maybe I'll talk to the people that control the uh, coffers here, see if we can't sponsor you for a couple races next year. There you go. That'd, <laughs> that'd be great. Uh, now, I understand that you are a new father as well. How's, uh, how's fatherhood treating you, man? Ah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. My wife and I have a two-and-a-half-year-old boy um, who's, uh, I think he's about ready to go to the park right now uh-huh. and play. <laughs> and uh, and then we have a three-week-old uh, uh, little girl. So um, the timing was just right with our new baby. The the season is coming to a close. And um, and so now that it's over, I think I can uh, get up in the middle of the night and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and help mom out a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure your wife is grateful. Um, y- y- your boy, are you raising him plant-based as well? Yes, yes. Um, he's, uh, he's a little vegan kid, so. Cool. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, at his age right now, um, you know, he eats what we feed him, um, so I don't think he knows any different. Um, when he gets older and starts going to friend's house, um, you know, I'm sure he's going to have a pepperoni pizza at somebody's birthday party someday. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure when he, in the lunch line in school, he's going to, um, make his own decisions yeah uh so you know we're not uh you know he's he's gonna be his own person and whoever he wants to be um you know we if he chooses to eat meat then that's his choice um but uh he'll probably have to cook it for himself (laughs) yeah (laughs) right and um and you know we're just gonna lead uh lead by our own example as parents and um you know hopefully hopefully even at a young age you know he's interested in in why we eat the way we eat Mm -hmm. if it's um you know i personally believe that 10 years from now the way we eat won't be so different right um you know right now it's it's easy to say yeah we eat different than everybody else but um i don't think that's going to be the case 10 10 years from now Um, so i don't think i don't think it'll be unfamiliar for him um to be a 10 year old at school and and have uh friends that are plant-based but uh but if that's the case you know he'll um He'll have his own understanding of why and, and why, why his parents do what they do, and, and he'll make his own decision. Now, I know that a lot of women, when they're pregnant or right after they have the child, they go off of a plant-based diet. There are concerns maybe that the they're not getting the nutrients that the baby needs, but it doesn't sound like that's the case for your wife. Is that right? Um, with When she was pregnant with Beckham, she was a little concerned, and she she wasn't really sure, so she ate um, eggs a few times through the pregnancy, thinking, you know, I'm just, she kind of just wanted to hedge the protein side of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she really didn't, she commented that she didn't feel like she needed it. Um, and, and so I, I feel like her conclusion there was that, that it wasn't, it just, you know, I, I don't know. I think she could take it or leave it. Right. Um, you know, I, th- I think that maybe it, it helped her in some of the times that, that when we were traveling and she was pregnant and we were in a place that just had didn't have very good options mm-hmm. and she felt like um, she really needed to to get something. But um, I, I feel like when we're home and we're we have fresh groceries in the house and we're cooking like on a consistent basis when when you're eating a proper plant based diet, you, you you truly don't need those things. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's, that's really what we focus on when we feel like we're off center or when we feel like we're questioning what we're doing. Um, you just have to reflect on what you've done in the last week. And, and if that answer is, you know, well, I went to Taco Bell and had a, a bean taco with no cheese on it. 
Um, you know, yes. that might be vegan, but that's not the answer to is the it, nutrients. Is it need. even vegan? Who knows, man? <laughs> yeah, who knows, right? <laughs> exactly. So uh, final final question for you, fun one. I'm going to put you on the spot. Your favorite smoothie recipe, what is it? Oh, man. Um, I can never seem to make it quite right, but my wife makes one that where she puts rolled oats and uh, peanut butter or uh, I think almond butter. And, uh, it's just kind of like a, uh, it's like a real heavy protein, like, um, oat, like got a little vanilla in it, um, smoothie with some almond milk. Uh, it's kind of a good breakfast one. Landon Castle, man, you, you are just a vegan treasure. So we appreciate you taking the time here, (laughs) my friend. Landon Castle there on the exam room brought to you by the physician's committee. He is like... I mean, of all the interviews I've done with celebrities recently, he is he's probably at the top of my list. No offense to anyone else. I mean, he just told us a story about throwing a banana peel on the racetrack. I mean, that's, you know, what are you, you going to do? You're in the car for hours. You get hungry. You have the pit crew throw a banana. Where are you going to put the peel? On the track, naturally. <laughs> uh, you are listening to the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. And uh, this episode, all about cheese. It's about cutting cheese from your diet. It's called the cheese trap. Nobody knows more about cheese than Dr. Neil Barnard, so we welcome him back to the show. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, It's great to have you here. This is a topic that I know is near and dear to your heart. You've got the book out, The Cheese Trap, and you have just done an incredible amount of research about this. Well, this came, it, it really came from our research studies where we brought people in, we put them on a vegan diet, and, and they, you know, they do great. They lose weight, their cholesterol falls, they got diabetes, and it gets better and better and better and better. Their joint pains go away. But so many people, we would say, okay, how are you doing? They'd say, I'm doing great, but I miss cheese. Mm. And you think, wait a minute, you have all these fantastic changes that have been happening, but you miss one of the foods that, that, that made you sick before. Yeah, I just miss cheese. And it's not, not milk. It's not yogurt. It's specifically cheese. And I thought, what is that about? I dug into it and I found that it is fattening. It is bad for your health. And I do think it's addicting. So hopefully we'll talk about all of those. Yeah, I think that we will. I mean, we've, we've got a good 40, 45 minutes to break all of this down. And I'm sure that we could go for a lot longer than that. But I think that where I want to start is the hormones in cheese and, and the hormones that are in there. I mean, they literally just wreak havoc on your body. It's a surprising thing. You know, we, when we think about cheese or we think about milk in general, we think it's got fat, maybe it's got protein, maybe calcium. But people don't think of it as a hormone pill. But uh, there's a story that I I actually describe in The Cheese Trap of a woman named Catherine Lawrence, who's a real person. And she was one of the – she was an Air Force aerospace engineer, and she was one of the first people to go into Iraq in 2003. Hmm. And when you are in a war zone and when you're eating what the the government provides, you're not gaining a lot of weight – But when she went home to Louisiana after her tour of duty was over, she uh, basically dug into all her Louisiana favorites, especially cheese. So it was macaroni and cheese and cheese-flavored Doritos and everything else. Uh, A friend of hers knew that she liked those macaroni and cheese boxes that college sophomores live off of. Uh, (laughs) The blue box. You you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, Her friend gave her a, a, a pack of 48 boxes of macaroni and cheese. A whole case. And she ate one every day for 48 days. And she... Wow. Yes. She gained weight. 
But she also got, yeah, not surprised, <laughs> but, but something else happened too. And that is that she started to get pain in her stomach. Hmm. And the question is, what's going on? And it got worse, and it, it was especially bad during her monthly cycle. And it got worse and worse to the point where there were days she could not get out of bed. So her doctor did a laparoscopy. That's where you make a little incision in the abdomen, and you look in with a scope to see what's going on in the abdomen. Hmm. And her doctor found that she had a condition called endometriosis, which is where cells that are supposed to be lining the inside of the uterus have come out, and they're now all over the abdomen implanting, just like weeds all over the place. They grow, they cause tremendous pain, and they threaten fertility too. So she wasn't getting better, wasn't getting any better. Medical treatments didn't help her. And the doctor finally said, you've got to have a hysterectomy. We've just got to take everything out. Wow. And she said, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm young. I, my husband and I haven't started our family yet and whatever. Uh, a friend of hers said, wait a minute. People change their diets f- to, to get their hormones in better balance. Uh, breast cancer patients, for example, have done this for years, where you change your diet to a more plant-based diet, the estrogen levels, the sex hormones, settle down. So she said, fine, what have I got to lose? She went totally vegan and low fat. And almost immediately, her, she started losing weight, her energy was better, but her pain started to go away. And week by week, it was getting better and better and better. Finally, after quite a number of weeks on this, uh, she goes back to the doctor, mm-hmm. who does a repeat laparoscopy. You make a little incision in the abdomen, you look in through the scope, and the doctor looks all around, and then sews her up and sends her into the recovery room and, and went out to the to the uh, waiting room to see her husband. And he says to the husband, I've just examined your wife. This is the most amazing thing. Her endometriosis is just practically gone. Wow. And, and her husband said, well, you know, she went vegan. And she's been really consistent with it. She's really done it. And she's felt better and better and better. And the doctor said, no, 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 no. Foods don't cause endometriosis, and there's no way that a diet change is going to ever make it go away. This has got to be a miracle. Right. Um, so miracle or not, she never had the hysterectomy. She has three kids now, and she became – Catherine became one of our Food for Life instructors and is now teaching other people how to take their health in hand. Um, but let me segue into kind of what you asked me, which is about the hormones yeah. that could be driving this because endometriosis is a hormone condition. Hormonal condition. Cows don't make milk until they have been pregnant. Hmm. And, um, you know, you can't say, hey, cow. Well, that makes sense. Give me, give me some milk. Yeah, right. You know, they have, like all mammals, they have to be pregnant and then they have to give birth. Right. And then the milk is for their offspring. So to keep the cows pregnant, the, cow, the farmers impregnate the cows every, not, not personally, the, the, um, <laughs> the farmers uh, have the cows impregnated every year. Right. And a cow's pregnancy is about nine months. And so nine months out of every 12, a cow is pregnant. A pregnant cow makes estrogen. The estrogen gets into the blood. It goes into the milk. When milk is turned into cheese, the hormones are concentrated. And even though it's only a trace, what we've seen is a couple of things um, that suggest that hormones in the cheese are enough to affect your biology. There have been studies of male fertility. Men who consume the most cheese have the worst sperm counts, the worst sperm motility, the worst sperm, sperm morphology, meaning the shape and the, the, the movement, and, right. and just the absolute number of sperm right. is less the more cheese you eat. Um, so could it be that something that's rather fragile like male fertility could be affected by having a food that's full of female hormones that you're eating? 
Um, worse, there was a study in California looking at women who had had breast cancer in the past. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows you don't give them hormones. You right. know, you're not going to give them um, postmenopausal hormone therapy because you know that the that's like fertilizer on a weed. It's going to make the cancer grow. But they found that the women eating cheese, if you ate more than one serving, one or more servings a day of cheese, your risk of dying of your cancer was 49% higher compared to the women consuming less than a half a serving a day. So we we honestly don't know where this is going. Here's Here's what we do know. Number one, milk comes out of a pregnant cow. Right. Number two, they've got hormones in them. It's traces, but the but the milk is concentrated as it becomes cheese. The hormones go along with the fat. And the average American is now eating 35 pounds of that every year. So uh, you got a six-year-old daughter, seven-year-old son, whatever. Do you want them to be eating something that is loaded with female sex hormones? No. My answer is not only do I not, do I not want them to eat it, you can't. You you don't eat it if you're an adult. I mean, I'm not sure if there have been any studies done on this, but if you're feeding that much to children, does that stunt their growth, especially with the boys? Then, if they're getting all of these female sex hormones and they're at that young age, I mean, do we know if that affects them? You know, well, I think you're putting your finger on exactly where the science needs to be, because here's what people are noticing: they're noticing number one, puberty is occurring earlier and earlier and earlier in girls. Mm-hmm. In fact, people don't even remember this. If you looked back. At medical records from the mid-1800s, puberty in girls, I'm talking about, the, the, say, their first period when they're now able to bear children, that was 17, 18 years of age, 19. In, in other words, which, which makes sense because that's the age when you are mature enough to be a mom. Mm-hmm. Then it became 15, then 14, then 13. Nowadays, you'll see girls of 9 and 10 having their first period. Wow. Um, you're not mature enough to raise a child. I mean, psychologically you're not, but physically you are now fertile. And I am going to argue that that wasn't nature's mistake. I'm going to argue that if you feed your kids hormones starting when they are in utero, when they're one, two, three, four years of age, here's your dose of hormones, same with the boys, um, that you're just changing their chemistry. And infertility is not the worst thing that could happen to a person, but the same... Hormonal changes that cause that also lead, I believe, to hormone-related cancers like breast cancer uh, and in men, prostate cancer. Uh, irreversible at that young age? I mean, that's the, you're just so – your body's just developing there. Do we know if that's irreversible, permanent yeah, damage? Yeah, it is. I, th- I think it – yes, I think it is – I believe it is irreversible. Um, puberty is irreversible. Re- um, you know, you're, that, that can't go back. On the other hand, the things that happened to Catherine – that is reversible. Right. Um, a woman, let's say a woman has cramps that just, about one in 10 women have menstrual cramps that are bad enough to really interfere with your life, with your work. Yeah. Um, we did a study here 20 years ago where we brought in women, everyone had bad cramps, and all we did was take all the dairy out of the diet, all the meat, all the, you know, it was a low fat vegan diet, and we showed that those, the, the, those, uh, cramps could reduce. And all you're doing is you're just calming the hormones down, Hmm. getting the hormones back into better balance. That makes sense to me. Um, You know, but let's let's switch gears slightly a little bit. I know that um, a lot of people are also concerned about vanity and keeping their weight down. And obviously, eliminating cheese from your diet would help you in that area as well. Oh, Chuck, absolutely. Your average American consumes 65,000 calories worth of cheese every year. 
Wow. See, 65, what, that's like a full month's worth of that, calories. That is, that, is, that is a lot. Yeah. Um, your average American consumes 65,000 calories worth of cheese every year. <laughs> and imagine, what if you could somehow how next year, without thinking about it, consume 65,000 fewer calories? Would you lose weight? Absolutely. And there, there are a couple of reasons why cheese is so fattening. One is, we've talked about this before, fat has nine calories in a gram. Mm-hmm. Uh, carbohydrate has only four. Well, cheese is 70% fat, so it's got a lot of fat grams. I mean, if it were any worse, it would be Vaseline. (laughs) Um, And so you're just swallowing this. You may as well just paste it on your thighs. That's where it's going to go. Yeah, that's a thought. Um, The other thing, though, it's not just the fat um, calories that when you you eat all that fat, it gets into your cells and slows your metabolism down. And the third thing, if people aren't completely convinced that – Cheese, this, and this is a surprise. You don't think about this. Cheese is one of the highest sodium foods there are. Sodium is added in the cheese-making process huh. to keep the fermentation in check. And so cheese, ounce per ounce, has more salt than, than potato chips. Really? Oh, yeah. Yes, it does. I, I wouldn't think that. Okay. Two, two ounces of potato chips three hundred from the U.S. government website, 330 milligrams of sodium. Two ounces of cheddar, 350. Two ounces of Edam, uh, 500. Two ounces of Velveeta, 800 milligrams of sodium. Well, is Velveeta even cheese? I mean, that's that's a question right there. Well, if it were, it wouldn't be any better. Um, <laughs> if it were, it wouldn't be any better. Um, and, and so what does the sodium do? The sodium, you know, raises your blood pressure. People know about that. But it also, sodium in your bloodstream holds water. Mm. And then that water kind of uh, gets into your tissues. And if you're feeling kind of blobby and... You know, your knuckles are a little rounded and stuff. That can be water weight. Mm-hmm. So when a person gets away, not just from the fat and so forth, but you get away from all that salt, you see people losing water weight. Yeah. So you lose a couple of pounds, you know, very, very rapidly from that. So is cheese fattening? I think it's one of the most fattening foods. I think, it, in fact, so many people wave their fingers at kids and it's the sodas you're eating. Well, soda is not health food. Right. Even if it's Dr. Pepper. So, but... <laughs> But it, it is not it is not as fattening as cheese. Oh, and kids kids go to school, and there's cheese all over everything that they eat. Um, I'm talking about the cheese pizza and the it, it, cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers. The vegetables have cheese on them, and, they, and then on the way home they get those string cheese things at the Seven mm-hmm. Eleven. And then their busy parents say, "Honey, I've got your cheese pizza ready." You know, and kids are eating it like no tomorrow. Soda consumption in the U.S. has been dropping since 1999. Cheese is going up. Which way is obesity going? Yes. Up. Yeah, I mean, let, me, let me be clear about this. Everyone wants to blame sodas for everything. And, you know, not without reason. It's not health food. But soda consumption has been falling for 20 years. And obesity is up. Diabetes is up. All these things are up. And so in addition to throwing out the soda, we should throw out the cheeseburger that went with it. Right. I think by and large, by itself, most Americans would consider cheese to be a health food. You know, it's it's a dairy. I mean, it's on the yeah, food pyramid yeah. that we're all taught, you know, for goodness sakes. They do. I, I suppose they're thinking of calcium. Calcium as well. Yeah. Calcium, vitamin D, that whole bit. Let's tackle that. Why not? Uh, let's talk about calcium. Um, cows don't make calcium. You know, people think, is cal- I need milk for calcium. Right. The cow does not make calcium. Calcium is in the earth. And the calcium is pulled by green leafy vegetables. In this case, I'm talking about grass. Mm-hmm. And the grass pulls the calcium out of the earth and the cow eats it. Um, 
And if there is calcium in the milk, it's just, the cow just ate it. Um, and there is calcium in all green leafy vegetables, and so you don't need the cow for it. You mm-hmm. can you can eat the if you calcium comes from the earth into green leafy vegetables. If you eat the green leafy vegetables, you will get calcium. If the cow eats green leafy vegetables like grass, he, she gets calcium and it ends up in the milk. But you don't need it from that source because that's not where it started. Mm, brilliant marketing on the dairy industry then. It is, and it's a funny thing because if you look at milk, the calcium absorption is not very hot. It's not very good. Um, Here's my Brussels sprouts. Here's my broccoli. It's over 50% of calcium in the green vegetable is absorbed. Your body takes it out. For milk, about 30%. Interesting. I have never heard that before. That's a nice little nugget. Yeah. um, So in other words, you can drink milk, and there is calcium in it, but 70% of that calcium goes right through your intestinal tract into the toilet. Isn't this cheerful thought? Oh, Sorry. A little <laughs> wasteful. <laughs> yeah. Don't, Pardon the pun. Don't, don't zero in on this image too much. Yeah. But, um, but you get the idea. That calcium, yes, it's on the label. Mm-hmm. Are you going to absorb it? Is it ever going to get past your intestinal wall? No. About 30% does. Wow. So that's something to think about, boys and girls. Um, I want to circle back to obesity. Obviously, that's that's an epidemic. I think now that forty uh, percent of of Americans are now considered obese. I think that that was the the latest study. Um, and obviously, obesity is just linked to scores of chronic diseases. With no question about it, um, if you're eating this huge load of of fat and salt uh, day after day after day, multiple times a day. It will set the stage for these problems. And by, by the way, it was not always so. If you look back, the U.S. government started tracking America's eating habits in 1909. Hmm. And in 1909, cheese was something you ate in Switzerland. Right. Not in Peoria. <laughs> not in Trenton. We don't, you know, cheese is not our thing. The average American in 1909 ate 3.8 pounds of cheese. Today, it's 35 pounds of cheese is the average consumption in a year. Um, and that was really because of fast food chains and, and pizza chains, starting in the 70s and 80s and 90s when it's just gone through the roof. Think about that. 35 pounds of cheese. I mean, what, that's, what, a couple of cinder blocks worth of queso? Is it? <laughs> oh, it's, it's a lot. I mean, that's... But, but, well, that's average. Um, for, for every vegan who's not consuming any, there is somebody else eating 70. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Here's one that's kind of near and dear to my heart as well, and it's a topic that you've covered uh, at length as well, is the link between cheese and Alzheimer's disease. It's, it's a fascinating area, and it's one that is, I think, potentially the most hopeful thing that you can imagine because up until now we have had, we've really not had good ways into Alzheimer's prevention. But cheese, well, let me go back. Um, researchers in Chicago, at the Chicago Health and Aging Project, reported in 2003 the results of 10 years of, of work where they found that in Chicago, those people who ate the most saturated fat, that's solid fat, that's mm-hmm. the, the, the bad fat that's in cheese, the, the people who ate the most saturated fat had two to three to, or even more times the risk of getting Alzheimer's disease compared to people who avoided it. Um, and what's the number one source of saturated fat in the diet? Dairy products, especially cheese. Especially. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's far and away the biggest source, worse than, we, worse than meat. Um, meat is second, mm. but uh, dairy, especially cheese, is number one. So, uh, and there are many other things we can do to protect the brain. Right. But job one is to get all that bad fat out of your diet because it causes changes in the brain, making Alzheimer's 
more likely. At least that's the theory, and the evidence backs it up. And I would assume then as you know, the amount of cheese that Americans ate increased since 1909, then also the rate of Alzheimer's cases Well, jumped. yes. It's been, it's been jumping up and up and up and up, and people say, well, is that just because there's more old people? Well, no. Um, and then we're exporting this overseas. When you look at Western dietary habits now invading countries that, let's face it, if you were in Beijing, grilled cheese was not your thing, sure. you know, 50 years ago. Well, it is becoming that now, and they are seeing heart disease certain cancers, diabetes, and evidence suggests more Alzheimer's, too. It's, it's challenging to do that kind of research, Yeah. Uh, but all the indicators are that that's getting worse, too. Yeah, uh, and, you know, to get real with you for a second, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that drew me to the, the vegan diet was specifically, you know, to lower my risk of Alzheimer's. It's, you know, uh, all uh, my grandmother had it. Um, her siblings had it. Um, you know, now we're starting to see some Parkinson's in my uncles, and, uh, you know, my mom is just terrified she's going to get it. So, so there's a strong family history there of it, and I'm trying to do everything in my power to lower my risk of developing that. So, yes, Jesus. But, you know, as you talked about, genetics don't necessarily dictate fate. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, there is a gene for you can call it a gene for Alzheimer's disease. It's mm -hmm. called the APOE epsilon 4 allele. And if you got it from both parents, your risk of getting Alzheimer's is 10 to 15 times higher than for somebody else. However, researchers have looked at people with that gene and found that even if you got this gene, if you change your diet, it seems to change your risk. In other words, if you eat in a really healthy way, your risk of developing memory problems as you get older appears to be reduced, despite the fact you have the gene. Because what the gene may do, the, the, an Alzheimer's gene doesn't just say, okay, I'm a hair on your chromosome, you're going to get Alzheimer's. What the way it, You could imagine a number of ways that it might work. Let's say the gene simply impairs your ability to metabolize saturated fat. Mm -hmm. And so you eat it and it goes to the brain and it hurts you. Well, if you're not eating it, it doesn't matter if you got the gene or not. You see what I mean? Right. Uh, we saw that with smoking. Sm smokers, uh, there are some people who have a gene that makes it harder for them to eliminate carcinogens that they inhale. Well, if you're not inhaling carcinogens, you're not likely to get lung cancer. Sure. So, so the genes work in funny ways, and f the way people eat can make those genes irrelevant in certain situations. Now, this is still a, a new area of research. But there is a lot we are learning about how foods affect the brain, and it is all empowering. In, in other words, I'm not talking about a white, uh, you know, a, a mouse or rat right. getting Alzheimer's. Um, what I'm talking about is studies in human beings showing dramatic differences in who gets this disease and who doesn't based on the foods that they are eating. That's that's incredible. Um, here's the thing about cheese that you you and I have talked about a little bit is that um, it's a tough one to rid from your diet. If you've eaten cheese, then what you call it is dairy crack. It is a highly, highly, highly addictive food. Is that just because our bodies are kind of wired to um, seek out those high calorie foods because, you know, we're scavengers, we like to store the fat. That's just kind of how we progressed evolution from evolution. You know, it's, it's a funny thing. It smells like old socks. Why do people get hooked on this darn stuff? <laughs> you know, you think, of all the foods that would be addicting, why that one? I know, right? You know, it's the food that is defined by the fact that it stinks. Um, and <laughs> it does. Some worse than others? Yes. Um, 
In fact, we can talk about why it stinks at some point. By all means. Um, <laughs> but yes, um, th- that was, as I said, kind of the top of the show. That's what lured me into this in the first place is I would see people who on a vegan diet were getting dramatically healthier, mm-hmm. but they felt addicted to cheese. They'd say, oh, you know, I want to go back to this. I think, wait a minute. Don't go back to eating it. That's the food that didn't love you back. Right. That's the food that gave you diabetes. Right. Um, why is it addicting? I think there's three reasons. Number one, um, it's fatty. Number two, it's salty. And fatty, salty foods in, in combination, onion rings, potato chips, french fries, those foods, they become addicting snack foods. And, you know, I bet you can't eat just one. Um, that's, you know, if it's mashed potatoes, well, maybe you, you're not going to dig into it. But the fatty, greasy combination grabs you. Cheese is really fatty and really salty. But I think there's a, a third reason that's, that's bigger, and those are casomorphins. Mm. Uh, these are opiates that are in, they are, they are in the dairy protein, casein, C-A-S-E-I-N. Casein is the, the protein in milk. And it's concentrated when you make cheese. And when the casein protein breaks apart, it's like like any protein. It's a string of beads. And each bead is an amino acid. Mm-hmm. And those beads go into your bloodstream. And your body uses them to make protein. But some of those beads, the amino acids in the protein, stay together in a string of four, five, six, seven amino acids. And they go to the brain, attached to the very same receptors that heroin attaches to. And they have an opiate effect. A, a narcotic effect on the brain. Uh, yeah, you mentioned opiates. I was just going to ask. I mean, is is that the same as you know, like an oxycontin or or heroin or you know any one of those opiates? Not only is yes, the, the short answer is it's it's the same, um, and it's simply not as potent. It's like a mi- it's a milder narcotic. Um, I'll give you a number there. There was um, one probably the most potent of the cheese casomorphins is is. Um, has four amino acids in it. It's called morphoseptin. And it attaches to the brain receptors with about one-tenth the power of pure pharmacy-grade morphine. Mm-hmm. So it's not enough to get you arrested, but it's, <laughs> it's just enough to make you think, oh, that was nice. You know, let me come back to that. I, I, hope, I hope I have some in, some in the fridge, uh, or, or I could be vegan except for cheese. That That's the drug talking, I have to tell you. Well, it's, it's, I mean, serious question then. I, you know, half joking, half serious. Can you OD on cheese? I mean, take, you know, fat and all of that aside. It's not going to kill you, but yes, but will you have physical effects? Yes, you will. Um, I don't know if you ever noticed anybody who kind of lingered over the tray a little too long, and the next day they were really constipated. Well, what does a narcotic painkiller do? Oh it binds God. a person up. And so what have you been doing? You've been taking mild narcotics, putting them right down through your intestinal tract, and it just suddenly the next day you can't go to the bathroom. It's, it's, you've, been, you've been eating a narcotic. Wow. My, consider yep. my mind officially blown right now. <laughs> it's like... That makes so much sense. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Don't man. try this at home. No, God, please don't. Um, here's the thing, though. It's So not only is this addictive, we're you know kind of fighting an uphill battle in that there's constant marketing and some big dollars and some very high, powerful people behind it trying to make sure that we eat as much cheese as possible. Yes. Um, Uncle Sam. Yeah. The, 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 the U.S. government partners with the dairy industry to promote cheese. Um, there are a number of programs. There have been advertising programs. Uh, ah, the power of cheese. Um, lots of ads about dairy in general, but cheese in particular, to promote cheese. And people would say, wait a minute, how can that be? Why would the government do it? Uh, a law, it, it, the government does it by law. 
Hmm. There is a law on the books that the U.S. government must promote American agricultural products. And so they promote, and, and it's without, without regard to their health value. Yeah. And so the government has a contract, which I can show you, uh, that they signed with Wendy's to market the Wendy's Cheddar Lover's Bacon Cheeseburger. No. Uh, yes. They have signed contracts with McDonald's. I mean, this is smart. Chuck, if you want to market a product, don't just put an ad on the side of a bus. Get it into every fast food restaurant in America. And suddenly you're going to change what Americans eat. And that's what they did. They did this with what they sold two and a quarter million pounds of cheese. Wendy's did on on contract with the U.S. government for that one sandwich alone um, in the promotional period. They worked with Burger King. They worked with Taco Bell. So you're going through the Taco Bell drive through. You don't know this, but there is a reason the person said through the little speaker, hi, welcome to Taco Bell. Would you like to try a quesadilla today? They were paid to say quesadilla. Wow. How no, about that? No, th- th- here, Mark Kennedy and Mindy Kurzban and others on the PCRM, PCRM staff over the years, through the Freedom of Information Act, have gotten their hands on the contracts that spell these things out. The government sent consultants to McDonald's headquarters to advise them on marketing. Can you imagine if you're an American business? And you're trying to compete with other businesses. If you've got the government sending you help for free, and who do you think pays for this? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So anyway, uh, par- partly it's the producers who pay. Mm-hmm. But the administ- I'm, somebody set up the structure. Yeah. You did. And I did. You know, everybody paying taxes did. Uh, it's, a corrupt, it's a corrupt system. And then who pays for the cholesterol-lowering medications um, that a person may need? The government... But the government is paying for this over and over and over again, and the taxpayers are footing the bill in every possible way. That's unbelievable. So, I mean, let's let oh, I'm hung up on this one now. So, the government is actually sending marketing people into these fast food restaurants and trying to come up with these items that have the most possible cheese on them. That's what you're telling. Um, in they do it in a variety of different ways. They worked with um, Pizza Hut. To put an entire pound of cheese on one serving. Yes, it was. It was How is that even humanly possible? It, well, you call it, they they, gave, they called it the ultimate cheese pizza, and it was, and it was about as much as you could stick in your stomach. Um, but then you, you remember this was what five six years ago they decided you you couldn't just have pe- cheese on top. It's got to be in embedded in the crust itself. Stuffed crust pizza. Um, and uh, the funniest thing is this. Well, not funny, tragic. This has encouraged farmers to have more cows and to make more milk because the government will do everything it can to make sure you got a market for it. We have now over a billion pounds of unsold cheese that the government now pays to store um, in storage lockers. Um, blue cheese? I mean, it's got to go Well, it's, prob- it's probably point. getting blue over time, <laughs> I imagine. And the taxpayers are blue probably having to pay for it. But, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, for all the anti-socialist rhetoric we hear in politics. We are the most socialized country when it comes to agriculture, where the government just buys up stuff that nobody needs um, that is hurting people, and then they try to find ways to get rid of it. Am I cheering you up, Chuck? I mean, yeah, and this is the kind of program that picks you up and makes you feel good. Let me tell you that right now. Um, (laughs) Wow. Okay. So, uh, got the the mind blown there. The Cheese Trap is the book. Um, A couple other things before we wrap this up. Um, we talked about chronic disease. We talked about Alzheimer's, uh, heart disease, though. I mean, there's, there's got to yeah. be another strong link there, right? Well, there is. Um, first of all, cheese is 
a very high source of bad fat. It's the biggest source of bad fat in the diet. What does bad fat do? The saturated fat causes your body to make more cholesterol. And cheese also has cholesterol itself. And because it's so high in sodium, it raises your blood pressure. And all these things together then lead a person to have a higher risk of heart disease. Now, on the other hand, um, studies are confusing. If you just look at populations, uh, rich people eat cheese. Rich people are generally healthier. So it's harder to make a lot out of some of the studies. But all in all, this is, it's it's a cocktail that's really bad for your heart. Let's end this on a high note, all right? So let's let's really pick people up and make them feel good. Uh, the good news is you can beat this addiction, right? So what is what is your advice to, you know, rid your body of, of this this cheese? How do you okay. get off of it? All right, great question. Um, it's I think it's very much like smoking, where a person might feel addicted to it. Pretty soon you're going to be in a place where in the same way as a smoker who's been clean for six, eight weeks, mm-hmm. you don't want to be near tobacco. You don't want it on your clothes, and, you know, you become you're really glad to have broken free. Sure. That's true with a person. When a person has conquered a weight problem, I mean, you know more about this than, than anybody else does. You're the expert <laughs> on this. But, you know, you, you, if somebody said, wait, I'm going to dangle all these foods in front of you and bring you right back to where you were, you would say, not in a million years. Exactly. Not in a million years. Um, there is nothing that tastes that fabulous that I want to trade what I got now. So anyway, um, yes, here's what I encourage people to do. First of all, just think of simple substitutions. Uh, okay, here's my sal- salad. Nice baby spinach salad with feta on it. Out goes the feta, in goes the avocado chunks maybe. Okay, nice mouthfeel, works fine. Uh, can I make a pizza without cheese? Yes. Not only can you make one, if you go to Whole Foods or any of the freezer cases, here is the cheese pizza ready to make your arteries snap closed. Right next to it is the vegan no cheese pizza. Nicely spiced, a little lighter but delicious, perfectly fine. Do it at home mm-hmm. if you want. Roll out the crust. Put on extra tomato sauce, some caramelized onions, uh, some olives, a little nutritional yeast, and it works fine. You know, you're going to do really well with it. Um, in the cheese trap, uh, let me say a plug for Drina Burton. Drina did all my recipes. She is a genius. And she will make a, uh, a cheesecake or a fettuccine Alfredo. These, these archetypical cheese recipes, they don't have any cheese in them. Um, in the cheese trap, and because Drina did that. So try them out, or if you want to go to the store, you will see Kite Hill brand cheese, which is exactly a cheese-making process, but mm-hmm. they started with almond milk. Interesting. So, so there's no, no hormones in it. You don't, you don't have to impregnate an almond, you know, so you don't, there's, there's no hormones. Right, in, in right. <laughs> um, there's tree-lined cheese uh, made from cashews. Uh, Miyoko's Kitchen. Miyoko's a wonderful cheesemaker from the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and she, oh, these are works of art. It's coated with black Mediterranean pine ash wrapped in a fig leaf. Um, and Miyoko herself will say, look, this isn't a food group. Nibble on it. Serve it to others. You will impress the heck out of them. 100% non-dairy. Wow. Zero cholesterol. Uh, much better than the, than the, than the uh, bovine variety. That sounds super fancy. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, the, uh, the tree line is an interesting one. Made for cashews. Michael Schwartz developed this. And Michael will say, you know, part of this is health, but the other part is just the ethical part. Mm-hmm. He, hated the idea, he, he hated the idea of what animals go through in the course of this. Yeah. Um, you impregnate the cow, which she didn't particularly want. Uh, nine months later, you take away her calf that yeah. she has given birth because if the calf drinks the milk, 
there's none for the dairy. Mm-hmm. And and when you go to a dairy and you see these calves taken away and they're in their little hutch, and then the mothers are crying out for them all night long, no, you know, you're our milk factory now. Um, Michael's heart was broken. Yeah. And he developed this delicious cheese that has uh, all the taste and none of the regrets. Interesting. Yeah, that that is tough. I mean, I'm plenty of us have seen the documentaries of yeah. uh, of those dairy farms. Yeah. Well, the good news is that all that's going to be gone. Good. Uh, all that is going to be gone uh, when people embrace healthier eating. Uh, last question: Cold turkey or wean off? Everybody is different, but um, the way I normally encourage people to do it is to give themselves a kind of a running start. So before you get rid of anything, figure out what you're going to have instead. Mm-hmm. So all right. Um, Let's see. You said put nutritional yeast on my pizza. Well, go buy it. Right. Um, uh, you said a vegan pizza is in the freezer case. Yes, go get them. So try out these things. See if you like them. Put them in your fridge. And then when you're ready, that's when the cold turkey word would apply. I would say give yourself three weeks. Uh, so it's short enough that you can commit to it. You can, you can do it for three weeks. Right. But it's long enough that you will be quite convinced at the end of it that, A, you're healthier, you're, lo- you're losing weight, your blood sugar is getting better, um, your energy is better, your digestion is finally, gee, finally I'm healthy. You know, I thought it was genetic. I thought I had irritable bowel. No, you just, you just kind of fixed yourself up. Um, and then after three weeks, you decide. But in all likelihood, your physical health and the way your taste buds are starting to be attracted to healthier foods, that makes you want to keep going. Right on. We need to find a, an alternative here with, with this being a vegan show. Uh, an, another way to say cold turkey, you know? Cold tofu. Cold tofu. That's kind of creepy sounding, too. It um, is. We need something warm, something inviting. Instead of cold turkey, what should it be? Good question. I like that. And a good segment with you, Dr. Barnard. Thank you so very much for joining us. The book is The Cheese Trap. Pick it up now at your local bookstore and Amazon.com. The Cheese Trap is the theme of this here podcast, and sitting across from me is Chef Bev. Chef Bev, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, So here we have a wonderful vegan mac and cheese. I can think of no dish that would be more perfectly suited for the Cheese Trap than a good old-fashioned mac and cheese. Tell me about what you've whipped up today. Well, what I did here was make a vegan mac and cheese with a vegan pasta also, because some of the pastas that you get out there have egg in them. Mm. So I used a hot water pasta with durum wheat. It's a cavatappi. I used three different types of vegan cheese. One of them was my specialty, which is a cashew vegan cheese. I also used the Daya uh, cream cheese and the Life uh, Heart um, American cheese. I whipped all that up together and I made a tempeh sambal bacon crumble to put on top. This is the best comfort food you can eat. You made that bacon from scratch? No, this is tempeh bacon, honey. Tem- tempeh bacon. Yes. Well, pardon me. <laughs> I mean, this looks like every mac and cheese that I've had growing up, the fancy kind, you know, around the holiday dishes Mm. and Thanksgiving and, you know, when mom was feeling guilty about something and God only knows why. She would whip up something nice like this with the bacon crumble on top, and it was delicious. And I have no doubt that this was also delicious. Now, uh, the important question for those that are listening, prep time, cook time, how much time are we talking here to make this? Well, I would probably say this is going to take a little bit of time because you have to soak the cashews for the cashew cheese. Mm. So that's an overnight process. 
Yes. So you're probably looking at, uh, for the cashew cheese, an overnight time. But the whole prep time is only probably a good 20 minutes. Gotcha. So once you get that soak on, Mm -hmm. you're good to go. Uh, Prep time, 20 minutes. Now, what's the cooking process here? Well, you boil the... um, cavatappi the pasta you make the cheese with a uh, soy based milk or a almond based milk or a cashew based milk you just put that on the stove heat it up put all your cheeses in there pour it over the top and then you crumble your bacon on the top yeah so you 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 don't layer it or anything like that you just add Mm -hmm. the pasta and you mix it together well you um cook the pasta down first and then you put the cheese on sure sure mix in no, That's it. No, some people bake their mac and cheese. That doesn't appear to be the case. Yeah, here. I didn't bake this. You okay. can bake it, but I would be very careful about baking it because sometimes baked pasta gets dried out. Gotcha. Uh, the cashew cheese there, uh, what else goes in there? I use a turmeric because turmeric is such a great inflammatory. So I use that. I use paprika, garlic, uh, soaked cashews, um, a little bit of paprika, some Dijon mustard, and some nooch, I I guess you know what that is, right? Nooch? Yeah, uh, come on. You I, know what nooch is. Yeah, you're going to have to hit me with Nutritional the... Nutritional yeast. Ah, the, uh, the nooch. <laughs> she hit me with the nooch knowledge. Uh, okay, so I guess there's only one thing left to do. Uh, well, two. I got to tell you right now that this fine recipe is going to be available on pcrm.org/podcast. We're also going to link off to Chef Beb's book, which is called Nouveau V: The New Renaissance of Vegan and Vegetarian Cuisine. Now we plug that, but Chef Bev is so popular that her books are sold out. Unfortunately, but we'll get them in. Don't worry. There you go. <laughs> uh, so sampling time. We have our guinea pig, Noah, standing in the back of the studio. We're going to ask him to come forward, get his sample on. Now, Noah, we have a bowl and a fork for you there. Immediately, he has a smile on his face. <laughs> it's so good, he's laughing. Wow. That is that's the best mac and cheese I've ever tasted. Um, seriously, that's, it's so smooth and... A lot of different cheesy flavors, which makes sense considering all the different types of cheese in it. Um, the tempeh bacon is totally different from what any other sort of bacon I've had as like a bacon bits type thing on top of mac and cheese. It definitely gives it like this extra flavor, this extra texture um, that definitely goes well together. All right, so we're going to put this here recipe up on pcrm.org slash podcast. Noah, on a scale of 1 to 10, you rate this? I'd give this a 10. I would give this to any of my non-vegan relatives, and they wouldn't know the difference. There you go. That's a home run. Chef Bev, you've worked your magic once again. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Hopefully you learned a lot this episode about the addictiveness and the dangers of cheese. Be sure to give the show a follow at PCRM and subscribe to The Exam Room on iTunes. And before we go, I want you to put your mind to something. Know that you can overcome the odds and live the life that you deserve. I wasn't always the weight loss champion. I was once 420 pounds and a woeful food addict, including being woefully addicted to cheese. But I was able to break that addiction, and once I did, my confidence soared. And then I was able to ask myself that question, what do I want to be when I grow up? If you put your mind to it, you can be anything. So no matter how old you are, 20, 30, 40, 50, even 60 or 70 years old, the sky is still the limit. And once you conquer food addiction, there's no telling where you can go. Thanks for listening. <laughs>